We are in Exodus 17. You can turn there or you can look at the screen as I read for you. I think I'm reading verses 1 through 7. Exodus 17. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Sin by their journeys according to the commandment of Jehovah and encamped in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people strove with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why strive ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt Jehovah? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore hast thou brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto Jehovah, saying, What shall I do unto these, this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And Jehovah said unto Moses, Pass on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thy hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the striving of the children of Israel, and because they tempted Jehovah, saying, Is Jehovah among us or not? The reading of God's word. Good morning. Our text today is taken from Exodus 17. God is speaking to his children. And the one thing he wants his kids to know is that he's with them. He's taking them out of bondage and into the promised land. But that road is a process that requires a lot of bumps and obstacles along the way. But he's with them. And he's going to guide them. And there's a reason for all those bumps. There's a reason for the wilderness. God calls us to a wilderness journey on our way to the promised land. All of us who know him understand that journey. It's not easy. But it's the journey that he calls us to because he loves us and because he wants to teach us that he's with us and that he will provide for us and that we can trust in him. And that, yes, as children, he loves us and he wants us to be encapsulated in his love. Let's pray. Our Father God, open our hearts to hear your word. Speak to us. By your spirit to our hearts, may we be open to what you have to say to us. Guide us on this journey and help us to see your hand, to understand your love, and to draw near to you as we seek to know you. In Christ's name, amen. So from this passage, if you look back at the scripture passage for today, I'd like to draw up three points. 
one is found in verse one. And that is that God, according to his will, his command, leads them to a place where there's no water. Creates a problem. We're going to see that the problem is not that there's no water, but that is what brings the problem to light. Secondly, that his people fail the test that God is bringing into their life. They fail to learn what he's been trying to teach them thus far. That he's with them, that he will provide for them, that he loves them. And then thirdly, as we look at verse 5, that God commands Moses to take that rod which was given him back in the days of Midian when he was being trained on the backside of the Midian desert as a shepherd of Jethro's sheep. Take that rod and strike the rock because I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a wonderful thing that's amazing in their sight to show them that I am indeed their provider. So God impatiently instructs his children. So thus far in our journey through the wilderness, he has delivered his people from the plagues, culminating in the death of the firstborn, and yet the preservation of their own children, taking them out of Egypt, out of bondage after 400 years, right up to the brink of the Red Sea, where they're pinned against the sea on one side, and the chariots of Pharaoh pounding down on them from the other. And Moses takes that rod and he lifts it and God parts the water. Yes, they had grumbled and complained and said, why did you bring us out here to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that we had to die out here in the wilderness? God opens the door and it becomes their salvation, their deliverance. And then it becomes a, a judgment upon the Egyptians who are following as it caves in on them and destroys the chariots and the army of Pharaoh. But he didn't just save them from bondage to deliver them at the doorstep of the promised land of Canaan. He takes them through the journey of the wilderness for a reason. And I want you to understand something. That the wilderness, as we've been taught in this series, is the place where God wants us to be. He wants us to be on this journey with him. He wants us to understand that he is our provider. And then he loves and cares for us. And so he takes them on this journey. And the first thing they do is they come to Merah in the wilderness of Shur. And they don't have any water. They run out of drinking supply. But there is a spring. That's the good news. The bad news is the spring is bitter. They can't drink the water. And so God says, take this tree and throw it into the, into the spring. And the spring becomes sweet and as greg shared with us two weeks ago the bitterness represents the bitter suffering of their 430 years in captivity the bitterness of that herb that they ate at the passover reminding them of their suffering and then that god heals that bitterness and he delivers them to a land 
that's sweet with milk and honey. There's a journey along the way. Takes them from Merah into the wilderness of Sin, and there they run out of bread. Their supplies run out. Now what do we do? Another problem. Sounds like your life, right? And mine. We get rid of one problem and the next one comes. Now what? We don't have any bread. So God says, here it comes from heaven, the most unsuspecting location. I rain down bread upon you and you collect it day by day. Jesus said, give us this day, our daily bread. Don't save up for tomorrow. And the tendency of all of us is to try to build bigger barns so that we can store up so that we have a sense of security. And God says, I don't want you to have a sense of security in your barns. I want you to trust in me one day at a time. So you go out and you collect what you need today. You eat it and then you wait for tomorrow. There's no stockpiling. It's a life of faith. And that's an uncomfortable place to be, isn't it? That rubs against the grain of my being because I want to be set for life as much as possible. You know, to, to look at all the possible bumps in the road and prepare for them. But he says, no, I'm your security. I'm your provider. Trust me one day at a time. He gives them bread to eat, quail from heaven, and continues on their journey. And now they come to this place of the wilderness called Rephidim. And God, by his sovereignty, takes them to another location where there's no water. The one common uh, theme here is that this refrain from his people are, why didn't you just leave us alone? Every time a hardship comes, they complain. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt where we were at least cared for? We had some sense of security. We had a roof over our heads. We had provision of pots of meat that we could eat out of and an unlimited supply of bread. Our life was predictable. We knew what we were to do every day. It was surprisingly simple. We were in bondage, yes, but we knew what to expect this life of faith isn't like that, is it? There's a lot of uncertainties. There in Egypt, we could control our situation. We had some resources, a sense of community. Oh, yes, our community was sort of uh, centered around our common suffering. But at least we supported one another. Here, we're, we're traveling in stages and we're in upheaval. Here we're going to a place that we've never been before. There's a lot of uncertainty in the journey of faith in the wilderness where God calls us to walk. And the certainty of faith and the uncertainty of the anxieties associated walk hand in hand. So the temptation is always to look down and say, how are we going to do this? But what God's trying to teach them is, no, keep your eyes fixed on me. I am here with you. He actually takes them to a place of testing. 
Now, I'm a dad and a grandpa, and I don't like my kids to feel uncomfortable. I remember when they were real little, and we used to take these hikes. You know, there's a great place to hike, right, everywhere you go. We'd go up the Cascades and Rock Hop, and when my boys were too little to really do it well, I'd take one on each hip, and I'd show off. You know, Daddy can do this. I can carry you, and I can rock hop, and I don't want to put you down because you might stumble and fall and get soaked, bump your head, or something terrible might happen to you, and I want to save you from all harm. Well, you can only do that so much, right? And as they start to get their hiking legs, you say, okay, guys, let's go. And they say, uh, pick me up. No, I don't do that anymore. You've got to get your hiking legs, and you can't get your hiking legs if you don't use them. So come on. And eventually they get their hiking legs, and they start to run ahead of you and say, come on, Dad, you still back there on that rock? And you're trying to keep up with them. And eventually you send these kids to Deerfoot, right? Boys camp, where everything is calculated risk. How far can we push these boys and know that they are going to develop inside a a constitution that they can survive in life and a reliance upon God because they're devoted to building character in their boys. They push them to the limits. God is like the Deerfoot model. He pushes his children because he wants them to develop inside a strength that comes from knowing that God is faithful and he is there and he will take care of us in these hard times. So um, God is leading them to a place where there is no water. Now, as Greg pointed out, You can live 40 days or so without food. But try living a few hours without water in a parched and dry place. Remember taking the family on an outing out west to Utah. And we went to Zion National Park and we're going to climb up this angel's landing. It didn't look so bad from the bottom. But as we started to send Walter's Wiggles, I realized that I had only put seven bottles of water in my backpack. And it was a long hike, and it was over 100 degrees that day. It didn't feel so bad, but once we started ascending, we soon realized that we were really guzzling the water, and the supply was depleting. It's funny how that works. And Gail was just recovering, and so she was really slugging down the, the water. And, and, and soon the two younger kids who were with us decided that they're going to have to start rationing their own use of water in order to make room for mom and dad to have more. So they started to worry about us. You know, tables have turned. We get two-thirds of the way up and we're sort of struggling. And we get to the top and we're starting to get dizzy. And we still have a long ways to go on a very tiny ledge holding onto a chain to get over. And the effects of dehydration were taking place. I can only imagine what it must have been like to be in the wilderness without water. This is a crisis. Friends, the problems that we go through in life, the places where God leads us by his will are not safe places. 
They're not comfortable places. They're difficult places. And you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm in one of those places right now. You know, I'm suffering. I'm in crisis. I'm being torn up inside. I don't know what to do. God's testing you. The test reveals what's inside, right? What does James say? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you run into various trials, knowing that the testing testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect work so that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God's testing. He says, welcome these things as friends, one translation says. Why? Because they are not just the bumps in the road. They are the thing that life is made of. This is the journey. We are in the kingdom of God now. And we're on a journey to our destination, which is heaven. But the eternal life you received when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior began then. And it continues on in one straight continuum with lots of bumps in the road. Used by God to orchestrate his work. It reveals what's in us. And sometimes that's not a good thing. But it also teaches us along the way what we need to learn about God. That he is in fact present. That he does in fact love us. And that he will in fact take care of us in whatever that may be. He wants to teach us that lesson, all of us, that lesson personally. And that exam is an open book exam. Okay, he gives you all the principles and the promises and the guidance you need right here. It's open book. I love open book exams. I hate it when I have to remember everything. But when you say open book, I I can do that. It just means that I have to study real hard and look it up. Look it up. Every day, look it up. Feed on it because this is where your life is. This is your strength. It's an open book exam. What is God teaching them as they walk through the wilderness? Believe in yourself. You can do anything you want if you just believe in you. Eh, no, not really. But that's what we hear today, right? I mean, everywhere you go, believe in yourself. You get ready for graduation. Believe in yourself. You can do it. You can climb every mountain. There's nothing you can't do if you just have faith in yourself. You think, that's a lie. There's a lot of things I can't do. In fact, I can't even do life by myself. I can barely survive by myself. I am dependent like a child upon my heavenly Father for every breath I take, for every bill I pay, for every day I survive. I'm dependent upon Him. Is He trying to teach them? Teamwork will do it, guys. Just get together. There's 2.4 million of you out in the wilderness. Put your collective intelligence together, and you can figure this one out. You say, Are you kidding? We are thirsty. We don't have any water. There's no resources. We can't do this even as a team. What's he trying to teach them? Get tough. You can deal with it. Just because you're a little thirsty doesn't mean we can't go another 40 years. 
That doesn't work either. What he's saying is, be like that little child we sang of and know that Jesus loves me. He, love, he loves me and he's going to take care of me. Go back to where you were. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you will not see the kingdom of God. Unless you become dependent on him. Unless you realize that he's your father who loves you. And you put all your stock in that. You won't make it. You really won't make it. Utter dependence is what he calls us to. We live life by grace. We are saved by grace and we live each day by this undeserved favor that comes from God into our lives to make us succeed. That's the only way you make it. As soon as you learn that, you'll be better off. And we have to relearn it. In this case, the children of God flunk the test. I'm glad they did. Because I flunk all the time. You know, and at least I can relate to them. Here they are. They're quarreling with Moses and say, give us water that we may drink. And Moses says to them, why are you quarreling with me? Why are you testing the Lord? You see, they're saying, this God who you say called you to the wilderness, from the wilderness to take us out of Egypt isn't here because if he were, this wouldn't be so hard. Moses, you do something about it. And they're quarreling, they're complaining, they're contending with him. They're going back and forth, they're speaking over him. They're saying, the bottom line is, you've got to do something about this, Moses. We're in crisis, and your God isn't here. Hmm. He says, why are you testing the Lord? It reveals what's in their heart, that when the going gets tough, they're really living on the faith that Moses had. How are you when the going gets tough? I hate to admit it, but I'm not sometimes a very pretty person. You know, you start to accuse me of things and all of a sudden my defenses come up. You deplete me of my supplies and all of a sudden I get desperate and I start to wonder where is it going to come from? You know, I can relate to this. I go without a meal and I start to get edgy and irritable and take it out on people. This is life. What he wants us to do when times like this come is not to complain to Moses or to people or about our situation, but to talk to God about it. Talk it over. Moses warns them that they're putting God to the test. Why are you mad at me? I'm just doing what the Lord told me to do. Don't you realize that your true quarrel is with God himself? He's the one who hears your complaint. You're putting him to the test with your unbelief and your doubt. Now, there are times when God invites us to test him. For instance, in Malachi, he says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Okay, test me. I've given you this promise. I've told you to bring the whole tithe in your intention because you think you need to hold back and stockpile for your own security. Bring it into the storehouse and watch what I will do. 
Now, that kind of testing is a testing of faith. It's stepping out and saying, okay, okay, I'll be obedient. And then you say, oh, God, you're good. Oh, God, you're good because he blesses you. But there's another kind of testing, and that's what these people were doing. It's a bad test. In the Hebrew, it means to tempt or to try. It's to manipulate God for your own purposes, for your desired outcome. It's what Jesus experienced when Satan put him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, cast yourself down for the scriptures say that God will give charge over you, that he will cause his angels to bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. So do it. Prove yourself. Put God in a situation where he needs to rescue you. Oh, you're putting God to the test. One is motivated by faith as an act of obedience, and the other is motivated by doubt and fear and the crisis that we're in, putting God to the test to say, Moses, you've got to get God to provide for us now. God doesn't want to be tested. What he would have wanted was his children to pray. And to say, Lord, here we are. We're needy. We have no provision and no way to get the water we need. And to pour out their hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. But they didn't. Instead, they contended and they complained. Every complaint Every contention that we have with other people is ultimately a complaint against God. Take it to him and leave it at his feet. What they're saying in essence is, is God with us or isn't he? Is he here? Because if he were, he'd provide. But he isn't providing, so he must not be here. I want to ask you, You're here today, and some of you are looking at your life and thinking, life is a lot harder than I ever thought it was going to be. You know, school is difficult. Oh, it's difficult. There's challenges and deadlines. There's social pressures. Every stage of life, you think that it's going to get better in the golden years, and all of a sudden you don't have any health, and things start to fall apart, and your social security isn't enough. And when you're younger and you're raising your family, you don't have time to think, let alone reflect on God's goodness. You're just trying to survive. And then the years slip by. And there's pressures, financial, from every direction. There's pressures. This is the opportunity for us not to put God to the test, but to be men and women who pray. The Apostle Peter says this to Christians who had been scattered out throughout many regions. He says, in this hope that you have, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, he's talking about this wilderness journey that we're on, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials knowing that the proof of your faith, which is more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So 
In other words, when Christ comes back, all this testing that you have done that's proven your faith is going to result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. There's a purpose for this, friends. This is just a little short time in your eternal existence. It is part of the journey that Christ is using to conform you to the image of Christ and to introduce you to him as a God of provision, a God who loves you and cares for you. So, what does God do with his people who are complaining, contending, they're bitter against God for this trial again, He patiently instructs his children. I love this. I am so glad that this is included because it tells me that God is a God of second chance and third chance and fourth chance. How many times have I failed? How many times have I not gotten it right? I've been at Merit and I've seen God change the bitter water into sweet. I've seen the provision of God from the sky, so to speak. And yet, every new struggle that comes along, I seem to have to relearn the lesson. I guess I'm slow. But we have a God who's patient. A God who's kind. Because for some strange reason, He loves us. He loves us. Just because He does. Just because He does. And so, He gently instructs his children. He tells Moses, take that staff which I gave you way out in the backside of the Midian wilderness, that same staff that you poked into the waters of the Nile, showing Pharaoh that God's power could turn the Nile into blood. Take that same staff. And now I want you to take the elders of the Israel with you and go over to that rock. And I want you to strike it. You think, what? Are you sure you're not saying just poke the staff in the ground and cause a spring to come up? You know, that'd be a whole lot easier. Or you see that wadi over there, that, you know, that dry riverbed? Just go touch the riverbed and let the water flow as it does seasonally. No, he says, I want you to go to the most unsuspecting place, that dense rock, and I want you to strike it. And from there you're going to see, you're going to unmistakably understand that I am your provider and I can deliver you and provide you with whatever you need from wherever I choose. And that's exactly what he did. He struck that rock and water flowed out. It wasn't just a little trickle like what you see from the drinking fountain. I mean, 2.4 million people had to drink this water. Imagine what it must have been like. It was a stream of water that came out. And God was able to take care of the needs of the entire nation from that rock. That's amazing. But that's God. It's a reflection of who he is. He wants us to know him as that. As Jehovah Jireh, my provider. 
God is that to us. Who is he to you? Have you put your trust in him? Do you know that God will provide for you whatever you're going through right now? Whatever struggle you're dealing with, he cares about you. He loves you, not because you're worthy, not because you've been a good boy or girl, but because he loves you. He loves you because he loves you. And will you, will you believe that? Will you take that to him and stop complaining to everyone? Bring it to God and lay it at his feet. And say, Lord, I can't do this, but I know you can. Your grace is sufficient. You are here. I believe that you have shown up. And even though I can't see you, I know that you are here in my life. Take me and provide for me. Help me to be obedient. I want to give you a little quiz, okay? You don't have to turn it in, but think about it. Ask yourself these questions or answer these questions in your mind as I ask them to you. Will I choose to trust him when I feel very, very alone in life? Knowing that he is present with me and will never leave me or forsake me. That he gives me his Holy Spirit to dwell within me and that I can have fellowship with him moment by moment through this wilderness wandering of life. Will I trust him when my prayers don't seem to work? They don't get immediate results. Will I keep persevering, believing that the answer is on its way? And it may be no. But he will answer. Will I trust him? Will I trust him when things go from bad to worse in my life? And I think, this isn't working. Where are you, God? It's not the result I was asking for. Will you keep trusting him? And keep believing that even though he has led you to a place of no water, that he is there. And he is not going to leave you or forsake you. Will I stay the course walking with Christ even when I feel broken and needy? Will I draw on those past experiences of God's grace, manna from heaven, all those things that God has done for me? Will I recite them and remember them and use them as the basis for trusting him for this, this situation that I'm in now and for the future. God can be trusted, my friends, with most serious concerns of your life. This is not just something you got to get through. This is life itself. This is what makes the story interesting. If they didn't have any of these situations, we wouldn't even be interested in reading, would we? We don't like to watch TV unless there's like this exciting plot with an antagonist and all the parts of the story. This is your life. God is intentionally 
taking you through these things to teach you about himself, that he can be trusted, that he loves you, and that he will see you through to the promised land. Now, if you're here this morning, you say, I'm not sure who this God is. I haven't really trusted him personally. I just want to fast forward a few hundred years to Jesus at the well with a Samaritan woman. It's about noon. The sun is beating down on them, and Jesus comes to her. She's alone, and he says, could you give me a drink from the well? And she looks at him and says, this is strange. You, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? He says, ma'am, if you, if you knew who I was, and you knew what I have to offer, you'd be asking me. And I would give you water. And she says, sir, um, excuse me, but you don't have anything to draw from this well, and it's deep. Are you saying that you're greater than our father, Jacob, that patriarch who gave us this well? And Jesus says, listen, lady, excuse me, ma'am, I don't think he was disrespectful. He says, If a person drinks from the water of this well from Jacob, he's going to come back again and want to drink some more. He's going to continue to get thirsty. But I tell you that the water that I have to give you will dwell within you as as an everlasting spring, and you'll never be thirsty again. What's he saying there, friends? He is the source of eternal life. He is the rock from which the water sprang. And the water that comes from Jesus is an everlasting well that comes from within. He gives us eternal life. He completely satisfies us forever. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you put your faith and confidence in him? Oh, I hope that you have. If you're here this morning and say, I'm not sure what that means. All you have to say is, Lord, I know that I am inadequate and incomplete and broken as a person. I know that I'm a sinner, that I fall way short of your perfection. Nobody has to tell me that. And then know that Christ came to die in your place, to take your sins and your sorrows and to give you forgiveness and the gift of God which is eternal life if all you do is trust him it's all about trust going through the wilderness it's about trust receiving Christ it's about trust believing that Jesus Christ is your savior the Bible tells us that the righteous will live by faith that without it it's impossible to please God it is the only requirement is faith And I say only because it's not easy to trust, but it's all we have. Christ is sufficient. And with simple faith in him, we find ourselves back there as children saying, Father, I know that you love me. You've given your son to die for me. I receive him now as my Savior. And the gift of God, the promise of God, is eternal life to all who call on him. Let's pray. Our Father, I ask that if there's even one person today who doesn't know you, 
in a personal way, who perhaps has been trying to do life on their own, has gone through a lot of stumbling and a lot of bumps and bruises, and knows that life is hard. Help them, Lord, to come to Jesus, the one who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Lord, we need rest. We come to you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for the gift of eternal life, and for taking us on this journey of faith that leads ultimately into your presence. We ask, Father, that you would draw each of us to yourself this week. May our load get lighter. May our burden be shared by Christ. And may we rely completely upon the grace of God to make it through. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.